It's the Garden Nerd Tip of the Week podcast, where we spend time chatting with expert gardening guests and we ask for their favorite tip. I'm Christy Wilhelmy. Thanks for joining me. My guest this week is landscape designer, author, and speaker, Jan Johnson. In addition to running her own landscape design firm in New York, she is an award-winning instructor at the New York Botanical Garden. Jan has several books, including her newest, Floratopia, 110 Flower Garden Ideas for Your Yard, Patio, or Balcony. She won the 2019 Award of Distinction from the Association of Landscape Designers also, and that's a big deal. Welcome to the podcast, Jan. Hi, Christy. Thanks so much. Sure. I'm super glad to be, I'm, you know, Zoom has made it so easy for us to talk cross-continent. And you're in New York, right? Oh, yeah. I'm in the Hudson Valley. And I, you know, I've asked this of all of my guests, but uh, I imagine your garden is not very active right now. But what, what does it look like? Give me a sense of, of what it's like. Oh, my goodness. You know, I mean, talking to you in California, there's snow on the ground and the paths are a little bit icy. And we are all over here going a little bit stir crazy. <laughs> yeah. Honestly. By the time this airs, your last frost date will probably have passed. When is your last frost date? Just curious. Well, that's a good question. I was I would say probably sometime in April, frankly. Okay. I mean, uh, the the annuals don't go out in my part of the world till Mother's Day. Oh, okay. So you're you're a late planter. Uh, and now I heard a rumor that you lived on an organic garden at one or a farm at one point. Is that true? Yes. No. Um, you your wonderful um, website, Gardenerd, I noticed is all about organics, which made me very happy because I started out way back in the ni- early 1970s, believe it or not, living on an organic farm in in Hawaii. Oh my God. In Hawaii and the soil is oh, volcanic. Yeah. So it's amazing there. That, that oh, must it have was, been fun. So I was uh, studying landscape architecture at the university of Hawaii. Um, and I was also living on an organic farm and we, we grew produce for sale. So it was a real deal. And did you, what kind of produce did you grow? And did it include the fabulous tropicals that grow really well over there? Well, that's interesting. Um, because when I started landscape architecture, I did a minor in horticulture and my crop, oh no, tropical, tropical agriculture was my minor. And huh. my, my crop that I knew all about was papaya. And uh, so I know all there is to know about growing papayas, which is hysterical because I live in Hudson Valley. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> that was really funny. And our biggest cash crop was snow peas. That was the one that made us all the money. Oh, wow. Organic snow peas. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's, that's very cool. But so I'm sorry, I got to totally derailed back to your own garden. How much space do oh, yes. you have to work with? And what do you what do you have? Uh, what is your landscape like? Well, what, frankly, I live in a very, I have a very, very small backyard because every day I go off to work and I work on big properties. You know, my clients here in uh, in the Tony Westchester County and, and Fairfield County. So I have many gardens, if you think about it, you know, that I create for other people and we take care of. So, so I can talk about a variety of them, but many of the, I do native plantings for people, uh, the biggest uh, problem we have right now is deer. Mm. So it's, uh, I, I do a lot of deer fencing and then I don't have to worry so much about deer resistant plants, but that's another, when I, 
when I write my books and everything, I'm always, or, or Facebook posts or whatever it is, I'm always saying, dear resistant, this is dear resistant. I don't think you have that problem, but where I am, it's a big deal. Well, there are people who live uh, in the hills and they do have deer. And so we do have to build uh, cages over raised beds and put in, you know, walled gardens and deer fencing and that kind of thing. So it's not, it's not in the urban areas, but certainly the, the Topanga Canyon and the hill, the Hollywood oh, yeah. Hills clients, they all have deer walking through. They all have really, yeah. and it's, it's a, it's an issue. Yeah, but. it is. On your own property, you said you have a small yard. Do you have mostly perennials growing or annuals or any edibles? What have you got? Okay. Um, I, I have a very small yard and it's shaded. So ah. there's a lot of things I can't grow. So vegetables in my own property, I can't grow, but, ah. but I do grow vegetables for other people, you know, okay. on other people's properties. Got it. What happens with me is that because I come home at the end of the day, you know, after working, I have a lot of annuals because where I live, they bloom, you know, all the way through to past Thanksgiving. And they're, and once I get them established, they're relatively happy. I don't have to do much, and I have constant flor flowers all year long. And then sometimes I'll sneak in some uh, lettuce or some kale in amongst the flowers. That, you know, nice. but that's that's the extent of of my garden. It's very pretty. I have a dry stream, which you may know from my from my other book. Um, and so it's it's a deer resistant, shade tolerant plants. Nice. Not that many vegetables. Well, the, it's funny you, you bring up your other book is the spirit of stone, which yes. I forever had been mystified by how dry stack stone walls are made. And that book really demystified that for me. So I was really grateful. Um, oh, thank you. thank you. Do you have a lot of stone in your yard or is that in most yes. of the other people's? You do. Okay. We have a lot. I have a stone in my yard where I live. It's a lot of stone everywhere. And I've always dealt, lived in places where there was a lot of stone. So I've learned to work with it, and a lot of people see it as a liability, and I've kind of changed their attitude and say, no, this is a fabulous asset. There's nothing better than plants and, and stones together, in my opinion. Yeah, you've got some really beautiful pictures that are always, you know, outcroppings of flowers up against rocks, little boulders peeking out of, of things. And and really, that book in particular was very, uh, almost a spiritual experience, a, kind of a Zen garden type of experience of like connecting with nature through stone and, and what it can do in your landscaping. I thought that was really nice. I really appreciate that. Yes. You know, I lived in Kyoto, Japan when I was in college days and I worked in a landscape architecture office there. It was the, the gardens there that absolutely transported me. And I was a kid from New York City. I had no understanding of gardens or anything at that point. And so I've tried to always recreate that sense of peace and tranquility whenever I can. Yeah. And it's nice that, that the stone can be part of that. It's a very cool thing. But you, oh, so you've got this new book now, Floratopia, that yeah. shares ideas in this book that's got so many ideas. I want to start with the planting in containers, among other things. What do you advise for people who are trying to add some color in containers to their might possibly be otherwise boring yards? Just out of curiosity. Well, first of all, the, one of the primary reasons that I wrote Floratopia was all our, our emphasis these days on our imperiled, endangered pollinators, as you well know. Yeah. And I 
and I would be telling my clients, you know, about the, the pollinators are endangered. And they, they really didn't click with a lot of them, you know. And I thought, well, gee, how am I going to help do my part to help save the pollinators? And one way I says, well, I'll show people how to grow flowers and then that'll help our natural world you know you know it just takes one person to get another person started to, to get yet another person started that kind of thing and so that was one of the initial reasons i wrote the book was just to help our pollinators and um so i wrote it in a series of tips so that you don't have to uh, be committed to reading a whole book you can open it up to any page and there's uh, individual tip that you can use. So I started off with talking about containers because, you know, a lot of people now, we don't have the luxury of large spaces. We have balconies, we have little townhouse terraces or whatever. And so, yes, containers, uh, planters, containers, window boxes, whatever, that's the way to go. And so just to call in the butterflies and the bees and the hummingbirds and whatever else, let's plant some flowers in, in pots, right? And containers. Right. So the whole first section I have is, is about containers. And um, I always say to people, listen, you don't have a lot of room. You have one little plant bed. Put a, put a planter, a large one, in within the plant bed so that the flowers are elevated. They're raised up above the level of other things so they're closer to your eye. And they're also easier to maintain, easier to water, whatever. So that's one tip I would recommend to people. I have a big uh, resin plastic, you know, um, plant that looks like terracotta mm -hmm. right by my front door in the plant bed. But you can't tell that it's plastic and it can withstand the cold here. And I have uh, seasonal flowers there that I change about three times a year because I like to. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I noticed that you offer some suggestions for how to keep flowers happy during hot weather. Cause we oh, have yeah. really, really hot, dry summers and it really kills everything around here. Can you share some of your ideas on how to keep flowers happy in hot weather? Yeah. Southern California, right? You yeah. are definitely <laughs> the heat capital there. Yeah. Well, I'm going to tell you the most obvious thing, which is to plant annual flowers, which are the ones that grow and then die, right? Mm -hmm. they, they bloom for a long, long period and then die in perennials, which come back every year, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I would tell you, first of all, to plant the ones that are native to, like, say, Mexico or, or, or those places that are similar to your climate, right? Um, for example, like uh, zinnia. Mm -hmm. Zinnia is an annual. Well, where I am, it's an annual. But zinnias are are beautiful for a sunny spot, and they have they come in so many different vivid colors, and they're drought tolerant. That's what we're looking for, right? Mm -hmm. Another one, which is a perennial, and you may know all these, is um, hyssop. Like, say, for example, Arizona sunset is the cultivar. Arizona sunset hyssop, agastache. Right. And it's funny because I've been trying to figure out how to say Agastache, Agastache, Agastache. Oh, Agastache. <laughs> you know what? It's probably Agastache, to be you know, honest with you. The, the folks at American Meadows, I stopped by their booth one, but once and I was like, is it Agastache or Agus? And I, I had not, I had another pronunciation of it and they said, no, it's Agastache. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> so yes, I, Yeah, it is um, Agastache. I am so, not the one, you know, that's what I often say, even though I wrote a book on flower garden ideas, I'm not a horticulturalist in terms of, I'm, I may not say the names right. I right. may not know all the cultural 
uh, requirements of them because I'm really into the whole design of it, you know? Right. And I, you know, I've heard from a number of landscape uh, designers and, and even horticulturists that, you know, Latin's a dead language. So it's however you want it to be. I don't believe that. Cause I, I worked in a school that had a four year Latin program. So I know there's wow. a way to say it for sure. But, uh, but for listeners who want to pronounce, uh, hyssop or hyssop, however that's going. How do you say, how do you pronounce that? I one? say hyssop. Um, oh, see, so I'm doing everything wrong. It's I'm saying, fine. Dad, Anna's hyssop. Anna's hyssop is also the Latin name is Agastaki, and the variety that you named was Arizona Sunset. Arizona it's a, Sunset. It's only ten inches tall, which is kind of nice. Nice, and you had said zinnias as well. Uh, zinnias, which is nice. oh yeah, and and you know what about diamond frost, euphorbias? Do you, I'm sure you know. I'm sure you know all these. I, you know, for my, for me, I am like, if I can't eat it, I don't know what it is. And so I, oh, okay. it, I my brain only stores edible things, and I have to oh, look okay. up the rest. Really. <laughs> well, um, yeah. So definitely zinnias. And then, of course, Lantana. These are the, the drought-tolerant ones in diamond frost, euphorbia, um, gazanias. And there's so many. There's so many that you can grow that I can grow, but not as well. Right. Well, those are good ideas. Uh, which... and, and so, and the other thing with hot weather, yeah. though, besides planting the appropriate flowers, is to water. When you do water, water deeply. The worst thing people do is water every day, but only give it a spritz. That is mm -hmm. not the way to do it. Absolutely not the way to do it. You want to get those roots to go down into the earth. And the only way they will is if, you, as you want to know as a gardener, organic gardener, is if you water deeply and the roots follow the, the water down into the soil. Right. Yeah. So this brings me to my next question, which is what is a flower highway? Oh, that was a great tip, right? Yeah. Yes. That, that is, and that goes right in with your whole organic approach to gardening, which is that, um, you know, we all know that pesticides are, are, are poison and we have to limit their use or, or not use them at all. And so what they now do is planting flowers that attract the good bugs, and they, in turn, eat the bad bugs. Right. So what we want to do is plant flowers that that certain bugs like. So, for example, um, if you plant, in, in Switzerland, they planted poppies, cilantro, dill, and other flowers along the fields of winter wheat. And they sheltered insects like the ladybugs. And by having all these ladybugs be attracted to these particular plants, they in turn ate the bugs that ate the winter wheat. Right. So pairing and, up it with like, you know, along the edges of your garden or uh, in strips, is that what you're, you're exactly? Uh, and, and golf courses are doing it now where they're planting around the edges of the uh, golf course, uh, turf or but you don't have, you could do strips right down the you know how you have a row of crops and then a row of flowers row of crops and row of flowers i have i have many listed here another one that um you can do is feverfew you know feverfew I'm, I'm afraid to say the latin names now for fear of that's okay <laughs> um feverfew which the latin name is tanacetum it's a, that medicinal herb but it has these beautiful white daisy-like blooms very small very it's it's an herb because it has that strong pungent bitter odor but it repels bees however it re it attracts hoverflies and tachinid flies which in turn eat aphids thrips and mealybugs right so feverfew 
is not good for bees. If you're a beekeeper, do not plant fever fields. <laughs> Boom, don't do it. But it, it does attract all these really good hoverflies, which in turn eat the bad bugs, the thrips and the aphids. Awesome. We like that. And yeah. I, I had heard from a couple of beekeeper friends that ideally, if you can plant a swath that's at least three feet by three feet of the same species of, of flower, yes. that helps benefit bees a lot more than just like little tiny patches of them here and there. That's if you've true. got and, room for it. And it also helps butterflies. Butterflies appreciate that too right yes it does yeah. uh yeah. i have some tithonia uh mexican sunflowers Ooh, sprouting back there i'm very excited because it, it that's a hot weather flower yeah sure. and and it and it really the butterflies love it they hang all over it so i'm excited to, that that'll be coming back and that this year. truly is why we're doing oh that's why i like doing this is that we you know our pollinators are happy that's what we want right you have a great suggestion let the lawn go and the flowers come back. I think this is kind of piggybacking on what we were just talking about, but how can people gather the courage to do that? Cause that's a bigger issue for some people. Oh my goodness. That is, that takes a very courageous person, especially if you live in a neighborhood like mine, where there's house next to house, next to house. I mean, it, it, it takes, I, I would tell people, let's start somewhere where it's not in the front of the house, where you don't have to hear the ire of your neighbors, honestly, because mm -hmm. they're, they're a little nuts, you know, these people. But at the same time, you can explain to them that 80% of American households have a turf grass lawn, and that is a lot of fertilizer and fungicide being sprayed everywhere. I mean, it is, it's, it, it's, it's heart-wrenching to me. For example, as you well know, dandelions, which are treated like arch enemy number one mm -hmm. by our lawn industry, are a spectacular source of pollen in, in the early spring for our bees. Right. Oh, yeah. I just, uh, so, yes, yeah, so I, I say to people, if you just go for a few years without all that fungicide and fertilizer and see what pops up. It's quite lovely. You can get little violets growing in there, a whole a whole host of things that white clover, creeping Charlie, speedwell, buttercups. It it's a it's a whole little world. So I would say start someplace where your neighbors won't yell at you and then show them <laughs> what it looks like after a few years. I love that idea. Yeah. Now you've got an entire chapter on garden theme ideas. Can you share one of those? Yes, you know, I have found that people, would, when they go to the garden center and, it, and they have spring fever, such as you guys probably have right now. Oh, big um, time. <laughs> yes. You know, you, you, you buy everything that you see because you're just so hungry for, what, what, you know, the latest variety of kale, but also the, the, the bright orange, whatever. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm saying, well, if you at least have a theme, a theme for the whole property or a theme for this one area, at least it helps you focus on 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 what you're about to do. Or, mm -hmm. And I, I explain that because when I, when I get that spring fever thing for myself and I go to the garden center and I go, oh, I got to have this one, I got to have that again. And I come home and I put it all there in the backyard and then I have to go to work, right? And so then I come back and I look at these things and I start feeling guilty. Mm -hmm. And then I have to water them. And I'm like, oh my God, why did I buy that? I mean, where am I going to put, you know, it's this whole thing. So I say, well, let's just start with a theme and at least you can say, nope. 
you know, I'm I'm doing this theme, whether it's a it's, it's a bird wildlife garden, and I only do plants for the birds, or I'm doing only purple and lime green, and that's going to be my color theme. And then at least you can focus. And I, because I have so many, I have one theme. It's called Open House for Butterflies, which is all about. And then I have another theme which I adore. Because where I live, it, it's very wooded, right? Mm-hmm. And that is called the Hundred Acre Wood, which comes from Winnie the Pooh. Yes. And so I say, if you have a woodland where I live, and people think of it kind of as a liability because it's a shady and kind of dank, and I say, no, it's the Hundred Acre Wood. Make it a little path going through there. And one of my most favorite themes, however, is called the Secret Garden. And even if you have a little tiny space like I do in my backyard, my I took my, my little side yard there and I made it a secret garden with a little bench and, um, and you know, a little table. And it looks very sweet. And it's like a little sanctuary. You know, you go with to be by yourself. I have a little private world, even if it's small. So what does the secret garden theme consist of? First of all, you're probably going to be partially enclosed, so you might have like one wall, and because Secret Garden is, is somewhat enclosed, so you might have a wall on one side and a fence on the other. And so then, against the fence, in my world, I grow Joe Pie Weed, which is this uh, native plant where I live. Where butterflies love it, and I have that growing up. It's native. It's, it kind of looks like a a kind of a small tree, Joe Pieweed grows about six foot tall. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's the kind of thing where you have some walls or fences and things growing on them. That sounds cool. I know my husband, when we first moved into this location, he wanted to create all of these little rooms in the backyard that would be perfect for your secret garden. Yeah. Uh, where you can just kind of tuck into a little nook in the back and just be all by yourself. I like that idea. That's cool. Yeah. Well, it is tip time. You've already given us a lot of great tips, but do you have a favorite tip that you'd like to share with the Garden Nerd audience? You know, my whole book is full of tips. So, you know, I think (laughs) out of all of these tips, which ones do I want to share with you? And the one I want to share with you, you know, is just something, an anecdote, which is that um, before you go run out and buy plants, whether it's for your garden, you know, or vegetable garden or, or or flowers, whatever, prepare this, the plant beds first. Mm-hmm. Uh, fill the soil in the pots or the planters first. Have that done. You know, if you have to buy potting mix to fill up planters or whatever, organic potting mix, buy it and fill those up before you buy the plants. Make two trips, you know, or the, I know you might have seeds and growing seeds, but all I'm saying is people want the sexy stuff first, and then forget that they have to do all the hard work, you know, right. it's kind of like painting a wall. You have to sand it and prep it and do whatever you do to the wall before you paint it. Right. It's the same thing with gardening. Yeah. And it's such a logical tip, but I, I hear from people all the time that they come home with a trunk full of plants and then they have no idea where to put them and they haven't prepared the soil yet. And they end up stacking them up on the corner and then they never get to them and they all die. So yeah, yeah. it's a thing. It's a real thing. <laughs> and that's a real good tip. Everybody fill that planter with the right potting mix first. Then when you have come home, then you can just pop it right in. Right. Yeah. So that's that's, that's my, my tip. 
That is a great tip. And you know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to grill you for a couple of design ideas. Cause I, I run across oh, yeah. a lot of gardens where people have done the one of everything design concept. Uh, you probably have a couple of design tricks up your sleeve that you would recommend for people who are trying to do on a little bit of DIY on their own. Well, thank you so much. I don't even know if you know this, but I did write a book called Gardentopia, which came out two years ago. Okay. And it's all about garden design tips. And it's doing quite well, frankly. There's, there's certain elements that, that or certain ideas that you can follow, whether um, that makes a big difference. For example, the depth in a garden. So I have the principle of, of three depths. Oh. What does that mean? That means like you have the foreground, you know, like right where you're sitting and looking out. Then you have the background, which could be like even in my small little yard, you know, the background is over there, you know, where I have some bushes. But then there's the middle ground, and the middle ground is where your eye stops before it goes to the backdrop or the background. And so I always tell people, don't forget the middle ground. And what do you like to fill the middle ground with? Well, the middle ground could just be a big pot. It could be a plant bed. It could be a small tree. It could be a, a, a rock. It's anything that stops your your eyes goes to before it goes to the back. So it's I not see. just like front and back. It's front, middle, and back. I see. And it makes a small space feel larger. Nice, right. So having that focal point in the middle somewhere really draws the eye. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for sharing these tips, Jan, and for oh, being sure. a guest on the Garden Nerd Tip of the Week podcast. Oh, I'm thrilled to. Thank you so much. Sure. Now, how do people find you? Well, I'm on Instagram, and I post, I try to post every day, although it's winter, so I'm not as, as good as I usually am. And that is at Johnson Design, J-O-H-N-S-E-N. That's my last name, J-O-H-N-S-E-N. Johnson Design. And then on Facebook, I definitely post every day. And I have several pages. One page, as you well know, is the Spirit of Stone on Facebook. And another one is called Serenity in the Garden blog. Is That's the name of the Facebook page. And then I have a blog called Serenity in the Garden. Wow. I'm really all about the serenity that the natural world offers us, frankly. Oh, something we dearly need right now, isn't it true? I know. <laughs> when you get out in that garden, you know, or, organic vegetables or flowers or whatever it is, it's that connection with the earth that grounds us and, and gets us, you know, out of our head. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, the garden has absolutely saved my life during COVID. So we're trying to get exactly. other people to experience this. Yeah, you're doing thing. a great job, by the way. You have a wonderful, wonderful website. Oh, thank you very much. Well, on that note, I will, uh, I will sign off. All right, garden nerds, you'll find links to Jan's new book on gardennerd.com this week. And we'll also point to both her website and her social media media feeds and all of that good stuff. That's it for this week. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple podcasts or wherever you listen, visit us for tons of free gardening information at gardennerd.com. Show your support for this podcast and the other free stuff on garden nerd by becoming a Patreon subscriber. You'll find us on Instagram and Twitter under garden nerd one on Facebook as gardennerd.com. And of course our garden nerd YouTube channel, happy gardening.